Hey guys, welcome back. This is Literally Disturbed, and I'm Katie. I'm Brittany, and this is episode 14. Oh, yeah? It's really 14, isn't it? I think so. It's crazy that we've done this many episodes so far. It seems like we just started, (laughs) but yesterday. Oh, you're pulling out the accents already. It's (laughs) way too early for that. (laughs) I saw a thing about accents the other day. It was about, like, neurodivergent people and how they, um, like, when they're communicating with other people, they, especially those with accents, they'll start mimicking those, like, to fit in better, I guess, or to, like, connect better. So didn't Lindsay Lohan do that when she moved away to, like, a different country and then she did her little documentary? I don't, um, know, I don't know if it's a documentary, but she did, like, a little episode or, like, a little, I don't know what they're called. Like a docu-series or something. Yeah, but it was like her setting up her new nightclub and like, I don't, I think in Australia or something. I need to watch this. But she, she has like a fake foreign accent that she uses and everyone's like, no, Lindsay, no, that's not what you do. No, I don't think it's like quite that intense. It's more like just kind of how I awkwardly make random accents. Yes, no, you're just doing it because it's fun to talk like that. Yeah, I do. I enjoy it. I I mean, I'm terrible. But maybe that's what, because you're just talking about the neuro thingy, whatever you just said. Yeah, it, um... It's just a different way of, like, communication, I guess. So, uh, oh, I have a I have a fun, not a fun, I have a sad update that some of you will be proud it's of. It's not sad. It is sad for me. It's a, so, sad, it's a happy hold on. sad. Let me start out by saying what she messaged me. So she's like, Katie, I think you got your wish finally. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, my pig just escaped and I can't find her. I'm like, Brittany, I wanted you to give her to somebody that would give her a better home. I was like, I didn't want her to get lost and then eventually die. That was not my wish. I was really pissy. Okay, this was an event. Take it this out was, on me. Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is quite an event. So, for those of you who are not pig owners, you probably won't understand because until I became one, I clearly didn't. Um, and let this be a PSA. Educate yourself before you buy an animal. And I did. No, listen, I had pig groups and I did, but it's nothing like what actually having one and having to deal with like the a struggle. child. It they are children and she's so cute and I listen, I love this pig so much. I really did. She's so just she's cute. But every month when she would go into heat, which has just recently started cuz she's still she's only like a year and a half. Um when she would go into heat, she would bust out of the fence. And we live out in the country, but we ha- there's a lot of people in our neighborhood that have dogs that are they're trained to be protective dogs because we live in the country, you know. Mm-hmm. And here comes little bacon hiney walking around. What do you oh think's gosh, gonna happen? Brittany. I mean, really though, like it's just yeah. serving it up on a. So it just she would get out, and you know, usually she would just go right down the the road to the neighbors. They have like a whole bunch of dogs, and she loved them and would go and antagonize them because pigs are social animals. They are, and they love like I know a lot of. A lot of dogs don't particularly care for pigs, but if you do get friendly dogs, they have a great... I mean, our dogs loved her. But anyways, she would get out and she would wander a little bit, but I mean, we would always figure it out pretty quick and we would get her back in and whatever. But this time she wa- she got like two streets away and it was not an easy way back. And she refused to come home when we finally found her. Um, like we just... She, she was... She wanted a friend. She wanted a boyfriend, and she was going to go. She was determined, I guess. I don't know. But we just finally, like, 
you know, I have four kids and we have a bunch of other animals and it just got to be where I could like, I, I can't really be spending time chasing after a pig when I have kids at home. You know, right. like that's just not something I can do. So we found one of the women that was involved in this whole finding pig thing. <laughs> she, we talked and she decided she's going to take her and she has, you know, a little bit better structured fence. Like she's got like sheet metal and so it's going to. It helps keep her in better, and she has a better area and more, way more land. She's got chickens. And and that's the house that she kept running away to anyways yeah, with all so, the dogs. Right. So. And so, well, it was one of the houses. But, yeah. Um, so it, it worked out. It's the best of both worlds. She's, like, right down the road from me, so I can still go visit her. And, and now she's going to. That was my wish, not for her yeah, to. Yeah, for her to have a happy home. Be lost. And she does. I know. I was just being. I know. I was but being. I was like, uh, why are you I was rubbing me into so this? I was just so mad because she was gone. And literally, she had gotten out like 10 times, and we had gotten her back in, gotten her back in, and tried to fix the holes and all the fence and figure out where, putting up stuff to where we thought she was getting mm-hmm. out. And she would just, she literally just busted a hole through the fence and was like, peace, y'all. <laughs> and I'm gonna go find me a boyfriend. Is she exactly? <laughs> and I don't know, but and this lady is so happy. Like she sent me so many pictures and showed me where she's got her all set up. And and they're older and they don't have any yeah like I mean, young kids or whatnot. Not like so. I do. And you know, so they have. She probably has more time too to be able to hang out with her than mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I've got just stuff going all over the place right now. <laughs> um, I guess. But yeah, anyways, you just want to dive in. We're going to have a, it's going to be a lengthy episode. I feel like all of our episodes lately have been lengthy, so. I mean, hopefully they're good, though. I hope it's worth the length. So we are getting new equipment, just putting that out there. uh, As many of you probably know and are dealing with this as I currently am, you know, the IRS is having a time, and so... Our refundage <laughs> is delayed, but once I get my refund, we're dedicating a lot of that to get new equipment and. Yep. Hopefully, have better sound and. Yeah, and it'll sound a lot. It will sound a lot better. Yeah. And then we're gonna have videos, so y'all be ready to see these mugs, y'all. Oh gosh, I don't think they want to see that. Oh, they do. They want to. We they have faces know. for radio. That's why we Shh, only do. Katie, we are beautiful, <laughs> glorious goddesses of. <sighs> You're the water oh, right. and I'm the I'm... earth uh, goddess. Okay. <laughs> That's right. You're a mermaid and I'm like the crazy hermit lady with all the critters in the woods. Mm, you are. I am. Okay. We're going to just <laughs> dive right into this. So so in episode number nine, I covered the Dakota, which is where John Lennon had lived with his wife, Yoko Ono, mm-hmm. in New York. And that's where there was like a lot of hauntings and whatnot. Um, and I said that I was going to cover it. And I don't remember if I said the next episode or not, but we're just—I'm going to cover it now. <laughs> um, and I actually had no idea. One, I'm not really familiar with the Beatles because that was a, before my time, way before your time. Two, my mom wasn't a huge fan, no. so it was never—you know—I never listened I didn't to it. Discover it until high school and had friends that. And I think that you me. gave me—I think you had a CD with this—is the submarine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I listened to that one all the time. That and um, Hilary Duff's. I oh. forgot which CD you gave me of hers. But <laughs> anyways, so I know like that album, but I didn't know that he was murdered. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. This was just like a crazy story. And I didn't 
like I feel I figured it would be more mainstream, like well known, I guess. Right. I mean, it could it be. Probably was it's just a, not more in around my... the time that it happened. Yeah. But just not, you know. So this is the murder of John Lennon, and I got most of my information off Wikipedia. Which that's mostly where I got it, and like a few, I think some off the History Channel and whatnot. So for those that don't know who John Lennon is, he was an English singer and songwriter, and is most well known as the founder and co-lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist for the Beatles. And the Beatles were started in 1960 and broke up in 1970. So they went on for a good 10 years, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a long time in the music industry. Yeah. Um, so after the breakup of the band, John and his wife Yoko Ono moved to the Dakota in New York City. Fun fact, she was supposedly the one that caused the breakup of the band. Oh shit, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. If you ever hear a reference to like a female, because they reference it in like TV shows all the time, calling her Yoko Ono, it's saying that she's coming in between the man and his... Oh, yeah. that makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or calling her a Yoko. Okay, that makes a little more sense now. Which I always liked their relationship. I just thought it was like a... I don't know. I just thought they were always cute. Yeah. They had their own special thing. Yeah. Um. So, on December 8th of 1980, John and his wife Yoko were photographed in their apartment by Annie Le. Lebovitz, Lebovitz, <laughs> for the Rolling Stone magazine. And I actually looked at the picture, and it's him fully naked. Oh, cool. And it's cool, Yoko cool. laying fully clothed with, like, her hands on her head. And he's kind of, like, we'll use it as, if you go onto our social media, you'll see it as our episode. Um, our photo. Yeah, for the post. And it's, like, him kind of like, as a spoon. Like her spoon oh, okay. on the side, yeah. but she's laying straight, and he's kind I of. I think like, I know what picture. You're and he's about. fully naked, and she's fully clothed. I don't know, <laughs> but it made it on the cover of the magazine. After they were done taking the photo around three thirty, the photographer left the apartment, and John was then interviewed by a San Francisco DJ named Dave Sholin for a music show to be broadcasted on RKO Radio Network. So after the interview, John and Yoko were delayed a little bit by a late limousine oh, back no. when limos oh, no. were a thing, which those are not a thing anymore. Like you, like before, because it, it's Uber Black now. I know, but it's just so funny because like that was at least like on the Sims game or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You knew you made it big in your career when the limo <laughs> when would come limo pick you up for work. <laughs> yes. Oh, we reference the Sims a lot. So, anyways, he made it big because he had his limo. Okay. Uh-huh. But he was delayed because it was a little late, and they left their apartment around 5 p.m. to go to the recording studio named Record Plant Studio to mix the song Walking on Thin Ice, which featured Yoko Ono. Mm-hmm. As they were walking towards the limo, they were approached by a man named Mark Chapman. He asked John for an autograph on his copy of the Double Fantasy album. And this was a common thing to happen to John. People would come up to him asking for a photo or an autograph. And he even was quoted saying, people come and ask for autographs or say hi, but they don't bug you. And Mark Chapman, the man that had went and asked him for the autograph, he said that he was very kind to me, ironically very kind, and was very patient with me. The limousine was waiting and he took his time with me and he got the pin going and he signed my album. He asked me if I needed anything else. And I said, no, no, sir. And he walked away. Very cordial and a decent man. So just a little background on Mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't know anything about this fellow. Neither did I. Like, I kind of knew a little bit about what went down, but I didn't know, like, 
The full story? No, not at all. So Mark Chapman was a 25-year-old security guard from Honolulu, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And he was a huge fan of the Beatles. But Mark was a very religious man, and he his admiration of John turned when John made a comment that the Beatles were more famous than Jesus. Oh, shit. And that just did <laughs> not sit right with this religious man. Uh-oh. Um, so later that... Yeah. So later that night at around 10.50 p.m., John returned home to say goodbye to his son before going to the stage deli restaurant with his wife. They got out of the limo on 72nd Street instead of driving into the more secure courtyard of the Dakota. It's weird how all these events lined up. Like, it, I don't know, it's just weird that Mm -hmm. he wanted, he had to stop by to go say goodnight to his son. Right. Instead of just going to the restaurant. He didn't pull into the courtyard where he should have pulled in because it was more secure. He just pulled up front to... So just think about those things. The doorman's um, the doorman Jose Perdomo and a nearby taxi driver saw Mark Chapman hiding in the shadows by the archway. The couple passed Mark and were walking toward the entrance of the Dakota. As Yoko passed by Mark, he nodded to her, and as John passed by, he briefly glanced at Mark and kind of made a face like he appeared to recognize him from like before right so he was like, kind of like oh i you were here earlier why are like, you why still are you here, here? Well, that's weird seconds later mark withdrew a charter arms 38 caliber revolver that he had hidden in his coat pocket he aimed the gun at the center of john's back and shot him five times from about nine to ten feet away a few people said that mark called out mr lennon and dropped into combat stance but in court no one mentioned that part so we don't know if that yeah, was just that was someone's really account mm-hmm. One of the bullets missed John and struck a window of the Dakota, and the other four hit John in the back shoulder, puncturing his left lung and his left subclavian artery. He bled profusely from his external wounds and from his mouth. And he, so he actually had to climb up about five steps to get over to, like, where the front entrance was, Mm -hmm. like, the security reception area. Right. And I guess he had fell and was just, like, shouting, I'm shot, I'm shot, and... Then he fell to the floor, and they said that he had a bunch of cassette tapes on him, mm-hmm. and they just scattered all around him. And a few people around, I think the doorman and maybe a security guard, tried to come help him. Right. And one of them even tried to make a tourniquet, like, to help, help. relieve some of the wounds mm-hmm. because they were so – he was just bleeding out. Um, and they called the cops. Mark did not run away from the scene. He removed his coat and his hat – he said in, in preparation for when the police arrived to show them that he didn't have any concealed weapons. And this is a weird spooky fact. Under his coat, he wore a promotional t-shirt for the musician Todd Rundgren's album Hermit of Mink Hollow. I have the, no idea I have no anything e- about that. Same. So one of the security guards yelled at him, do you know what you've just done? And he said that he, that Mark responded back calmly and was like, yeah, I just shot John Lennon. No, buddy, you just killed John Lennon. Uh, yeah. You just massacred him. Mm-hmm. Ugh, this is so hard. That's what she said. That's what she wishes she could say. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Officers Stephen Spiro and Peter Cullen were the first to arrive on the scene. Or They were on 72nd Street in Broadway when they heard a report of shots fired at the Dakota. They arrived two minutes later and found Mark standing very calmly on West 72nd Street. 
They reported that Mark had dropped the revolver to the ground and was holding a book. Um, it was J.D.'s Salingers, I don't know, Salingers, um, The Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Salinger. And later he claimed, if you were able to view the actual copy of The Catcher in the Rye that was taken from me on the night of December 8th, you would find in it the handwritten words, this is my statement. And I looked up, like, the book a little bit. I didn't, I mean, I didn't really read much I've of it. I've heard of this book a bajillion times, but I don't know what it's about. And I know that some people are going to be like, oh, blasphemy. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that educated. I grew up in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Um, <laughs> so, let's just say that. I just grew up in a lot. I went to a lot of places. <laughs> we had very, we're sisters, yes. but we We're full-blooded sisters. Same mom, same dad, but parents six, divorced. Almost six years apart. Yeah, and we just kind of grew up differently. Different. Um, it's so weird. It's not necessarily a bad thing. No, um, it's kind of interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay, um, that was his statement. Apparently, whatever the book was about was... Why he yeah. was doing this? Shh, I guess. I'm just... I'm going to have to read this because this whole thing sounds very... What the fuck? Like, the fact that he had no panic about it. Like, he was just there. He shot him. And he's like, yeah, I just shot him. Like, ready to be arrested. Yeah. Just, just very so calm. nonchalant. About, that's just very strange to me. Like, I don't understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So they, the cops immediately put Mark in handcuffs, obviously, and mm-hmm. placed him in the back seat of their squad car. And he apparently was so calm and made no attempt to fight them or run away. Okay. See, what the hell? I mean, so it's weird. <laughs> Officer Herb Fronberger. I, re- I don't know if that's how you say it, but I kind of like Fronberger? it. Fronberger? Herb Fronberger. Herbie Fronberger. And his partner, Tony Palma, were the second team arriving a few minutes later. They found John lying face down on the floor of the reception area, blood pouring from his mouth and his clothing already soaked with it. With Hastings attending to him, realizing the extent of his injuries, the policemen decided not to wait for an ambulance and they immediately carried John into their squad car and they rushed him to Roosevelt Hospital. One of the men asked him, are you John Lennon? To which he nodded and replied, yes. According to another account by Officer Bill Gamble, Lennon nodded slightly and tried to speak but could only manage to make a gurgling sound and then lost consciousness shortly after. A few minutes before 11 p.m., they arrived at Roosevelt Hospital with John in the back of the car. They carried him in and onto a gurney. And they demanded a doctor for multiple gunshot wound victim, is what they said. Um, when he was brought in, he was not breathing and had no pulse. Three doctors, a nurse, and two or three other medical attendants worked on him for 10 to 20 minutes in an attempt to resuscitate him. As a last resort, the doctors cut open his chest and attempted manual heart massage to restore circulation. Mm-hmm. No, just nothing. Yeah, but they quickly discovered the dim- the damage to the blood vessels above and around Lennon's heart from the multiple bullet wounds was too great. So, three of the four bullets that struck him in the back passed completely through his body and out of his chest, while mm-hmm. the fourth one lodged itself in his aorta mm-hmm. beside his heart. One of the exiting bullets from his chest hit and became lodged in his upper left arm. Nearly any of them would have been a fatal shot because each bullet had ruptured vital arteries right so around he, he his didn't heart didn't matter where he was just gonna yeah. bleed out and he had been shot four times at close range with the hollow point bullets and that affected his organs particularly his left lung and major blood vessels above his heart 
were virtually destroyed upon impact. Mm -hmm. And so this quote was from Stephen Lynn. He was the head emergency, the head of emergency department at the hospital. And he said, if John had been shot this way in the middle of an operating room with a whole team of surgeons ready to work on him, he still would not have been able to survive. Because it was just that intense. Mm -hmm. That's so sad. So he was pronounced dead on arrival at 11.15 p.m. But the time of 11.07 has also been reported as his time of death. So witness is actually noted that the Beatles song, All My Loving, came over the hospital sound system the moment that he was pronounced dead. And oh, I don't know if crazy. that was a coincidence or if some or if somebody purposely did that. Right. So we don't know which one that is. Um, Either way, that's kind of like a... Mm-hmm. His body was then taken to the city morgue for an autopsy. The cause of death was reported on his death certificate as hypovolemic shock caused by the loss of more than 80% blood volume. Oh my god. According to the report, even with prompt medical treatment, no person could have lived for more than a few minutes with multiple bullet wounds affecting all of the major arteries and veins around the heart. Stephen Lynn, the man that was the head of uh, the emergency emergency department, Mm -hmm. the one that made the quote earlier on. Right. He had to inform Yoko Ono oh, God. that her husband even, died. No, I can't even imagine. Like, mm-hmm. not even just the fact that you're telling a woman that the love of her life just died, but the fact that it's John Lennon and you're telling Yoko Ono that John Lennon is mm, the most beloved. You I know. just couldn't. In an, uh-uh. His this is Stevens Lynn report of what went down when he told Yoko. Okay. He said she started sobbing and said, oh, no, 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 no. Tell me it's not true. He claimed that she even laid down and began hitting her head against the floor, but calmed down when a nurse gave her John's wedding ring. His account was disputed by two of the nurses who were there, though. So I guess he was just, like, exaggerating. Well, in a 2015 interview, Yoko denied hitting her head on the ground. Mm -hmm. She stated that her chief concern at the time was to remain calm and take care of her son, Sean. She was led away from the hospital by a policeman and one of the Geffen Records presidents, David Geffen. Hmm. Yoko Ono asked the hospital not to report to the media that her husband had died until she informed their five-year-old Sean, who was at home at the time. And she was worried because he liked to watch TV and mm-hmm. she didn't want him to learn from a TV announcement. Right, that would be terrible. But that's why I was like, this is weird how certain events played out that night because mm-hmm. at the same time that they were bringing John into the hospital, a um, a news producer, Alan J. Weiss of WABC TV, was injured in a motorcycle accident earlier in the evening and saw John being wheeled into the hospital surrounded by police officers. Well, news got around and it got back to him what had happened. And so the first thing he did was he called up his station with information because mm-hmm. obviously that's got Big some hot goss. Um, and it got back to ABC News president Rune Arledge. So he was also the president of the network's sports division and was presiding over ABC's telecast of Monday Night Football as an executive producer. Mm. So when he received word of Lennon's death, a game between the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins was tied with less than a minute left in the fourth quarter. And I guess it was a, an important game. Mm-hmm. And he tried, he informed Frank Gifford and Howard Cossell of the shooting and suggested that they reported the murder. Cossell, who had interviewed Lennon during a Monday night football broadcast in 1974, he was the one that was chosen to do it, but he was apprehensive 
and he didn't really feel like it was the right place to break such a big story. Right. But they convinced him, saying that he should not hang on to the news as the significance of the killing was greater than the finish of the game because it was an important game. Right. With 30 that seconds. that was really important news, too. I know, but he just didn't feel like Monday Night Football was the place to, for that to be broken especially out Especially for that big of a, like, exactly. John Lennon. And it was just kind of, mm, I don't Bad know. Bad taste. Yeah. Yeah. So with 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the following exchange took place. Oh, gosh. So Cassell, so this is what he said, but the game's suddenly been placed in total perspective for us. I'll finish this. They're in the hurry-up offense. Gifford, they're down four. It'll be fourth. Matt Cavanaugh will let it run down for one final attempt. He'll let the seconds tick off to give Miami, Miami no opportunity whatsoever. The whistle blows. Timeout is called with three seconds remaining. John Smith is on the line, and I don't care what's on the line. Howard, you have got to say what we know in the booth. Cassell, yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses, an unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City, John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard to go back to the game after that news flash, which, in duty bound, we have to take. Frank Gifford, after a pause, indeed it is. So that was just him. Right. And their dialogue so, going back and forth right. on the game. Sorry, I didn't really do that justice. <laughs> <laughs> so, but this was like a live, like they were doing this. Yes. Okay, right. So okay. they got, you know, a call in. Yeah. Oh, we got someone on the line. Like, what's the news? Oh, I got to report this real quick. Right. So. And then, okay, let's go back to ball. Yep. So the following day, Yoko issued a statement. There is no funeral for John. John loved and prayed for this human race. Please do the same for him. Love, Yoko and Sean. So on the the day following the murder, Lennon's Beatle bandmate, George Harrison, issued a prepared statement for the press. And he said, After all we went through together, I had and still have great love and respect for him. I am shocked and stunned. To rob a life is the ultimate robbery in life. The perpetual encroachment on other people's space is taken to the limit with the use of a gun. It is an outrage that people can take other people's lives when they obviously haven't got their own lives in order. Harrison later privately told friends, I just wanted to be in a band. Here we are 20 years later and some whack job has shot my mate. I just wanted to play guitar in a band. So... That's sad. It really is. So, Lennon's murder triggered an outpouring of grief around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, his remains were cremated at Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, Westchester County, in New York. No funerals held, you know, because that's not what he wanted. Right. Yoko sent word to the chanting crowds outside of the Dakota that their singing had kept her awake. <laughs> she asked that they reconvened at the Central Park Bandshell the following Sunday for 10 minutes of silent prayer. On December 14, 1980, millions of people around the world responded to Yoko Ono's request to pause for 10 minutes of silence to remember Lennon. 30,000 people gathered in Lennon's hometown of Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And the largest group, over 225,000, converged on Central Park. Oh Just imagine. Gosh. Close to the scene of the shooting. For those 10 minutes, every radio station in New York City went off air. That's I'm crazy. Literally, like, I literally have the chills same. right now. And I know that's so, because I don't. No, same. But seriously. Just the like, amount of love and respect people had such, for him. You know, the musicians in those days, and we all, like, the Doors. I love the Doors. Mm-hmm. Don't, like, I am a Doors 
give me some Jim Morrison any day. <laughs> but let's not act like he was the greatest of right. characters. So when he died, it was like, okay, we kind of saw that coming. True. And it was really, really sad, but it was also kind of expected. But this was but not this his fault. No, this was, he was a great man still yes. wanting to create beautiful music and had a son. And he was a and, peace activist, yeah, you know, he was and, out there trying to fight the good fight. You right. Know? And so just that, to me, is where... And just know. for some silly just statement that he made in some religious nutcase wanted yeah. to go end his life. Encroach his And there was really no reason. For nothing. He was a good man. At least three Beatles fans killed themselves after the murder. Oh, no. Leading oh, to Yoko Ono having to make a statement. Oh, God. I um, can't even imagine. And she, on, a, on January 18th, 1981, a full-page open letter from her appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post titled Ingratitude. It expressed thanks to the millions of people who mourned Lennon's loss and wanted to know how they could commemorate his life and help her and Sean. So, something else <laughs> happened. Um, a man named John Hickley tried to assassinate President Ronald Reagan three months after Lennon's murder. Oh, and you're okay. probably like, okay, what does that have to do with him? Well, the police found a copy of the Catcher in the Rye book among oh. with his personal belongings. He left a cassette tape in his hotel room on which he stated that he mourned Lennon's death. He said he wanted to make some kind of statement after Lennon's death. So, so he tried to, kill to the president? Yeah. I am not following those I'm not thoughts. sure how that's a statement, but okay. So we're going to go okay. back to, yeah. Maybe gonna, this is just a time and I don't know about Reagan. Maybe. And how there's a connection I mean, he was a peace there. activist, so I, I'm not trying to put two in. I really don't know. I don't get it. Okay. Anyways, um, continue. So we're going to get back to Mark Chapman, the man that shot the, the bad, John bad. Lennon. Yeah. He who must not be named. Yeah. So he pleaded guilty in 1981 to murdering John. Obviously, he stayed at the scene he was going to go down for it, right. you know, very calmly. Is there a why? Um, well, not, I mean, well, you'll not see. Not a satisfying one? No. Under the terms of his guilty plea, he was sentenced to 20 years to life and later automatically became eligible for parole in 2000. Oh. However, he has been denied parole 11 times and remains there incarcerated in an upstate New York prison. Imagine if they would have let him out. How many? Like, oh, someone he would have made it. He yeah, it, that's probably why they would deny him parole. Yeah, because they know as soon as he gets out, he's gone. He's a flight risk or whatever. Yeah. During a 2020 hearing, so very recent, mm -hmm. he said he killed John Lennon for the glory. He called his act despicable, and he said he did deserve the death penalty. So he knows so he, he knew it was fucked it was up. wrong. In his explanation, he said, "I have no excuse. This was for self glory." I think it's the worst crime that there could be to do something to someone that's innocent. He was extremely famous. I didn't kill him because of his character or the kind of man he was. He was a family man. He was an icon. He was someone that spoke of things that now we can speak of and it's great. I assassinated him, to use your word earlier, because he was very, very, very famous. And that's the only reason. And I was very, 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 very much seeking self-glory. Very selfish. Wow. So I have a spooky fact. Okay. And it's just, it's one of those things where you see someone's character after the fact and, like, you can judge it. But then, like, would you do the same thing? Mm hmm So the, the doorman at right. the Dakota, mm -hmm. he's the one that helped John Lennon and kind of made the tourniquet for him and whatnot. Right. So his shirt had some of John Lennon's blood on it, mm -hmm. right? Well, he sold the shirt... 
for over 31,000 euros at an auction in 2016. Oh my. And I'm just like, that's such bad taste to make profit off of something like that. But then it's like, if somebody offered you a million dollars for that shirt and you weren't just going to throw it away, like, would you sell it? Like, I don't know. That, that, it's I, a that's weird... A, that's a catch-22 for sure because I wouldn't want to keep it. I to wouldn't want to keep, keep it because that, would to me, would just be, like, bad. Well, obviously, you know, like, it has his blood on it. And like. I just wouldn't want to, like, keep, you know, but if I could, I mean, if I could have money to help take care of my family. Yeah. I, so it's just, but it is kind of bad taste. It's, like, it's really very bad taste, profiting but it's like, off this man's death. Would you do it? I, I wouldn't know. say I wouldn't, but I, I just be feel proud icky of it. <laughs> if I did. I mean, it's like sometimes you got to do things in life that you're not proud of to take care of your family. Yeah. I don't know. I just say we don't hate it, but we don't love it. Yeah. You know. I need a drink too. Oh, gosh. I'm so noisy. You're up. And we're live. All righty, friends. On air, but not live on air. We are alive here and there is air okay (laughs) okay so uh as you will recall if you are tuning in currently please note that this is a part two so if you want to listen to part one please go listen to episode 13 it it, this as as of this point it doesn't really matter because the other stories katie did in last episode really don't it's fine but just you want to listen to the other part first before you go to listen to this part Okay. Like, your last stories don't have anything to do with this week's story, right. so it's okay for them to go back and re-listen, yes. but if you haven't listened to that episode, I'm going to be, you're going to be like, what? Who is this girl? Why does she have so many names? Yeah. So, okay, where we left off last time with our colorful friend here, uh, she was Mrs. Marsh, and she was in New York, and everyone found out that she's a liar, and she's conning them all out of all of their goodies mm-hmm. and so she decided that she was gonna go um to the staten island ferry and jump off and commit suicide wink wink <laughs> air quotes yes <laughs> so and that was the end of Anne odelia distabar right so that was where that of that alias yeah that okay. was finito okay as of this point okay so then q uh miss eleanor morgan and this is uh, in May. So, okay. She committed suicide, air quotes, yeah, on April 14th, 1891. This is uh, in May of 1891. So, Miss Eleanor Morgan, a medium, popped up in Boston. Oh, so she's still going with the oh, same she's scheme. she's still okay. going. She's still... And, mind you, that she was in New York and this is Boston. So, it's not like a huge leap in geographic locations Mm -hmm. so she decided she was gonna go and check out i mean i would go to boston i'd like to check it out i met a man from boston once and he was Uh, quite interesting all right to go meet some more boston men Uh, that's anybody in the boston Boston. area hit britney (laughs) i'm just kidding no okay if you want moving along so most people like didn't really know a lot about her like her mystery her her words (laughs) <laughs> my brain just like backed up right there just, like that was like a major <laughs> like baddie off of <laughs> baddie coda yeah, well, you know what's funny i was gonna make a meme about that did i tell you 
No, you should just make it. I was going to make a meme make about a meme. how when I was a kid, I always thought I'd be Krista from that movie. But when I got older, I realized I was more like Batty Coda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be perfect. You should do that I'm and then to. put, like, but make, okay, anyways. I just, but I totally forgot until just now. Uh, anyways, okay. Um, Katie, write that down. <laughs> here. Okay, so, uh, Boston. We're in Boston, guys. We're in Boston. This is all going to be and cut out, her, so you need uh, to start uh, fresh. So- Katie, Sophie, Katie, whoever, whatever your name is. Her past was shrouded in mystery, but her spiritual talents could not be denied. Ooh. Ooh, she was a spooky girl she was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in a few weeks, she managed to scope out all the well-to-dos in the area. She does. Of course. You know, she's got that, that eye for... She lives a very interesting life. I'm not saying that I condone anything she's doing because it's terrible She's at people, least making it interesting. But it is very fascinating. I'm like, all about this roller coaster. She didn't live in a boring life. No. It's very much like a movie. She is like, listen, I am here and I'm living and like, I don't care. She's the main character. Of everything, yes. wherever she goes. She's just... I kind of... I dig it in a... I don't condone her... No. What she's doing. Uh-uh. I just like that she's living, I guess. She's Is very, that weird to say? No, Is I that don't, not I okay? I'm sorry. I just think it's very... We're boring. That's what I'm saying. Like, you we, know, like I mean, this is the most board. interesting thing we've done. And we think it's super cool. You don't Oh, we're cool. Know. We're so fabulous. Just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Really you am. have a lot to read. Okay. I know, I do. I'm not even like, a qu- not even. You're not it. even in it. I'm not. Okay, okay. so shh, shh. Okay, sorry. Sh- okay, so she's scoping out all the peoples. Okay, like, hey, I know, I know you're rich. Yep, I'm up on you. And she, she joins. What she said she does all the time. So she joins the spiritualist community. <laughs> okay, like we do on Facebook, our uh-huh. groups. Yeah, like legit. But in real life. But in the 1800s. Yeah. How fascinating. 1800s version of Facebook Mm -hmm. groups. Yeah. Could you imagine? That would be fun. Anyways, so Boston's branch of the Theosophical... Okay. Are we singing Boston's branch of the Theosophical Society. Okay. I couldn't sing that word. That didn't come out. Um, So the reporters... There's like a bunch of reporters that are like in a part of the society, right? Because it's a well-to-do people, obviously. You're going to have all the whatevers. Yeah. Or the, the, they are the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, future, whoever's editing. So this guy, he's like a, he was like a chief of the reporters that are part of this group. And he's like, yo, aren't you that Anne Odelia Dostobard chick? Like, no, don't I know you. No, I died. Yeah. And that's exactly. She's nay, like, nay. What? No, yes. Nay, nay. I, she jumped off of a fairy. Don't you know? I can speak to her ghost. Do you want to? <laughs> I'm just channeling her mm-hmm. spirit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically, you know, people kind of figured out that her suicide was a stunt, and but she had claimed that, or no, what she had done is she. So she jumped off the ferry, right? She mm-hmm. s- swam to shore, and she had her little, uh, her nunnery outfit. Her miss, uh, what's her oh, name? Oh gosh, it really is like a movie. Sister Ignatius disguise okay yeah and so then she just was like swapity swap she should have been Damn. a spy for real like that's what that i think been... of like when she's doing all these aliases and whatnot i just think of like a spy <laughs> with like a montage <laughs> but behind just it a... she's uh you know zooming around whatever 
So she jumps on a train, shops out of town. She's going to Boston, right? Okay, so she's a nun on her way to Boston. Nun on her way to Boston. And she thought that she could disguise herself by wearing a blonde wig. Oh, okay. Yes, that was that was how she was going to not Slap be known. Slap blonde wig on, okay. So going to work. Although, girl, have you seen wigs lately? Sometimes that'll change a girl up. But in the 1800s? Not in the 1800s, I'm no. just thinking of the George Washington powdered wigs, <laughs> but I think that's before that time as well. Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> you know, I learned there was a... Something to do with that, like, was it syphilis or hepatitis? There was some disease that went around back then because they were all sleeping around. Oh, God. And that's why they would wear wigs because they didn't want people to know that they were losing their hair and they had that sexual, it was like an STD. So that's like, why, that's where that started. So did George Washington have? Okay. Uh, we're just going to uh, go right uh-huh. now with that. <laughs> I don't, I will neither confirm nor deny because to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's just a TikTok thing, I think I found. Okay, that's TikTok, where I learned TikTok a lot of things. Study. Yeah, I know, TikTok knowledge. Anyways, okay, back to our our sister, Sister Ignatius. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Y'all are probably like, just <laughs> get on And with I it. literally have not moved. Okay, so she's in Boston. She's sister. She's disguised. She's got the wig. She's found out, so she skips town. Miss Eleanor Morgan, never seen again. Okay. Okay. That didn't last long. Mm-hmm. So now it's in August of 1981 or 1891, and Miss Vera P. Ava was the hot goss of everyone in Chicago. Okay. Okay. So Lady Whistledown's probably reporting on her. Oh, totes. Whoever that is. <laughs> you haven't watched Bridgerton yet? What? No. <gasps> Anyways. I know. I'm so I sorry. I keep Winx. getting her sidetracked. I started Winks, though. <gasps> okay, good. Yeah, it's That's pretty a good, good one, too. Yeah, I like okay. it. Okay, so she was a wealthy English woman, a true philanthropist, and who had come to uplift the poor, uh, the poor of the windy city slums. Okay, she is here to save the day. I'm picturing like a, what's her nuts? <laughs> what's her name? Pink lady. Grr, hater. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I. Girl, I hate her. Girl, I hate her. I hate her. Weird phrase. I'm sorry. I do hate her. Okay, Brittany, go go on with the story. Okay. Shit. Probably turning us off at this like exact moment. Cannot. You will not. You shall not. All right. So, so Miss Vera's stay in Chicago did not have an auspicious beginning. Due to a bank error, she was unable to pay her bill at the Wellington Hotel. Oh no. Yeah. So she was turned out into the streets. But fortunately, a fellow Englishman, Mr. Nenge, don't hate me, <laughs> came to her rescue and graciously allowed her to sublet the second floor of his rented house. So sweet. What a I gentleman. Know. She always has a knack of finding these gentlemen. I know, she? and it just pisses me off because they're just so the nice Where's and my sweet. Mr. Nenge? Where's my English fella? Oh, yeah. Whatever. I've um, always wanted an English BFF. Yeah, for real. A BFF. Yeah. I kind of I have a boyfriend towards, like New Zealand as far as like ooh accents though. So. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy no, the guy what's his name? Shit, never mind. Fuck that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm so sorry for us cussing in the last episode. Or just in general. Like, I'm not gonna promise I'm gonna work on it, but no. I'm just saying sorry. Okay. 
Yes, same. Because there's a lot of what the fuck moments, we and I have really to say it. We really do try to contain we ourselves. Don't. I don't. I sometimes no, I do because mom always gets on to me. She's always Brittany, watch your. So it's kind of like an instilled thing in my brain. She says sh- what? Because you don't finish your sentences either. <laughs> she gets on to me because I cuss so much, and okay. I always like it. Just comes out. I know, and it always has. She's like, my New Year's resolution this year is I'm not going to cuss, and so I started like I just cuss, uh-huh. and she's like, Katie, I told you that I'm trying to work on that. I'm like, you are working on that. Not Did me. I say I was? No, I wasn't a part of that. Sometimes fuck is needed. Okay. Yes. This is a very appropriate word, and there is no other stories. word that is appropriate for fuck in certain like like circumstances. A lot of things that we talk about, it's just like what the fuck. Legit, literally disturbed. Yes. Fuck is the perfect word for that. Yes. Okay, sorry. Okay. I really do apologize, but it's probably not going to get better. (laughs) Welcome to Literally Disturbed. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Okay, so, moving on. Miss Vera doing stuff with an Englishman. I don't know, did they? Uh, She's living with him up in the upstairs. The second floor. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Okay. So... She had a mysterious past, which she would only share with her close confidence, mind you. She just moved to Chicago, so it's not like she had really... A lot of those. How could you have... Anyways. <laughs> so she just basically told people to make her... Fo- like, I'm not really telling anyone. This is a secret. Yeah. Don't tell anyone, okay? But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to tell everyone that I know. Anyways. She had been... <laughs> she'd been a member of a secret order of nuns but had to flee the convent when she had began to develop spiritual powers. She was being pursued and persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church and its most sinister agents, the Society of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a good one, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's funny. Plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) Wah-wah-wah. Ah, even now, she was receiving letters sent by the Jesuits threatening to assassinate her, or worse. On September 9th, Miss Vera Pieva visited a Jesuit college on West 12th Street to speak with a priest about those letters. Hey, Father. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) What's up with these letters, man? Okay, Bailey Sarian. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, sometimes I am. Okay. I want to be her. Fuck. I'm Sorry. Mean, she's the dream. She's my girl crush. She's like the BFF that I always wanted and needed. She's the person I always wanted to be but we'll couldn't just, be. But we'll find. What if we're best friends with Bailey Sarian someday? We're putting that out in the universe. That's okay? a lavender bush. That and and that's why we drink. Yeah. Because we all know I'm obsessed with them. But, like, don't put a restraining order on me. Like, I'm not. No, like, we're not going to, like, creep you. We just want to be besties. We just want to say, hey. Which hey. I actually got, like. Christine. Like, Christine said that she, like, got a story off of some other podcast that's, you know, one of the people that we follow. And I got a little jealous. Oh. I was like, no, I want you to get, like, your information from Literally Disturbed. But. <laughs> You're it's probably okay. doing all the same stories as y'all, so you probably aren't going to. <laughs> Anyways, I will say this though: I'm very behind on watching or listening to them. And oh, I'm completely caught up. <clears throat> oh, I'm not. I'm super behind, and I just get really bummed out when I find out that 
I'm doing a story that they've already covered. And I'm like, damn it, I thought I was finding something cool. But they have over 200 episodes, so it's going to be a little hard. True that. So we're just going to have to do it real good, baby. Oh. (laughs) You went to that voice. (laughs) You don't like that one? I feel like you have multiple personalities. (laughs) I've been trying to tell you this. Beatrix, Camilla, Bridget, they're in there. I asked Glenn the other day if he names his personalities, and he's like, what? Brittany, you need to get you some betterhelp.com. If there's anyone out there who's a therapist <laughs> who'd like to take this on, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> okay. I won't be bored. Okay. Oh, shit. Fuck. I'm not even, like, a page. I know. Oh, my God. Okay. Fuck, whore. Like, we are on a train, and we just derailed, like, completely <laughs> off into a cliff. Stuff. Like... <laughs> Okay. We're just gonna okay. make it back on somehow. I don't know how, but Okay, so so father. Father about them letters. Okay. Uh, <coughs> she received a, a ride from a friend, Mrs. Bolton. But when Bolton returned later to collect her, there was no sign of Miss Vera. She and her driver conducted a brief search and then ran to the police suspecting a foul play. The police spoke with priest Father Kelly, who said that a woman had entered the church shortly after 6.40 p.m. and asked to be left alone in his vestry to pray. When he returned later, she was gone. The police believed his story, but Miss Vera's friends knew it was a lie. Abel was now a prisoner of the minions of the St. Ignatius Loyola. Stop. (laughs) She tried to make it look like they kidnapped him. They got me. Stop. Okay. I was wondering where you were going with all of that. Okay. So a few days later, she was found in Cincinnati, wandering the streets in a daze and babbling incoherently. Oh, this lady just, like, how does she come up with these, like, skits? Girlfriend, I don't know, but... Like, she's... I don't know if she's, like, smart I feel like if or she was insane. In, if she was in today's society, she'd be, like, on SNL or something. Like, just uh. straight up. <laughs> okay i don't i don't know how is she not a movie yet uh, that's is she very, i don't know we should check that out I tm not. tm yeah i'm <laughs> just kidding <laughs> uh that's funny okay so <clears throat> bloop 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 she was incoherent uh cincinnati's chief of police wired his counterpart in chicago asking what he wanted to do with her <laughs> chicago's reply was brief release her we don't want her <laughs> Neither do we. (laughs) (laughs) According to Miss Vera, as she entered the church, she was confronted by Father Kelly and Archbishop Fihan. Fihan? Fian. Whatever. Who forced her into a chair and and tried to get her to sign a paper recanting her stories. But when she refused, a hood was thrown over her head and she remembered nothing more until she came into Cincinnati. (laughs) Okay. It was a troubling story, and reporters had a lot of questions. Where's her daughter in this, all of this? Oh, her daughter's got taken away. <gasps> Did I know that? Yeah, that was in the last bit. Okay. Whenever her and the general went to jail, remember? Oh. And she was deemed unfit because they weren't married. <gasps> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's it's been all. a week. Sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, anyways, so... So, I guess they... the Okay, the reporters... Again, we're like, yo, aren't you the same girl, Miss mm-hmm. Ann Odelia Distabar? 
And it turns out that a newspaper reporter sent to cover the developing story had recognized Miss Vera P. Ava almost immediately and gone to the police, who found it entirely plausible. Their weird, clearly made-up backstories had a lot of similarities, and there was a strong physical resemblance. Miss Vera denied being Miss DeBar, of course, and even offered a $50,000 reward to anyone who could find the notorious Dis DeBar so she could finally prove that they were not one and the same. Stop. <laughs> no one was buying it. Miss Bolton and her friends quickly abandoned her, and the men gays sued her for the back rent she owed them. Good. <laughs> Good. Desperate to raise funds, Miss Vera gave daily lectures at Cole and Middleton's Clark Street Museum on the South Side, detailing her harrowing experiences for 10 cents a pop. Cole and Middleton didn't shy away from the controversy, declaring in their advertisements that Vera P. Ava and Anne Odelia Distabar were one and the same. The novelty soon wore off, and Miss Vera was forced to use her spiritual powers to earn a living by conducting seances. She advertised herself as the Veiled Prophetess. So we went from Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Got all kinds of mm-hmm. princesses and mm-hmm. govern. But what, what the fuck was it? Baroness or I don't even know at this yeah. point. Every damn name in the book she's had. But anyways, so now we are, we are at, we are, so now we're the veiled prophetess. She claimed to be a former Dominican provincial and Roman astrologer from the Vatican. I mean, I really can't say anything because I'm mermaid goddess Katie Ladies. So... <laughs> There's that. Um, Anyways, continue. (sighs) That's funny. (laughs) She was assisted in her work by Father Francis, an ex-Franciscan monk. In actuality, Father Frank was was Professor Charles Orchardson, who was another spiritualist con man. (laughs) Great, she found another one. (laughs) Yeah. So the pair took their show on the road but kept a low profile. In October of 1892, she was arrested um, because she had been doing seances in Elgin, Illinois, for Miss Irene J. Mitchell, whose husband had committed suicide. Mrs. Mitchell and uh, Miss Vera were counting money around the kitchen table when Mrs. Mitchell was called away for a few moments. When she returned, Miss Vera was missing, and so was most of the money. Uh, She claimed that these were trumped up charges, part of the revenge plot concocted by Orchardson, who was still secretly working for the Vatican. Mm, okay. The professor angrily denied these allegations and insisted Miss Vera was the real villain, sending hypnotized priests to assassinate him. Oh, okay. I don't even know what to say. So the police didn't care who was hypnotically trying to murder whom and, uh, and indicted them both for larceny, embezzlement, and obtaining money under false pretenses. When the case went to trial, the state's arguments were blissfully short. When Vera P. Ava had arrived in Elgin, she was penniless. A month later, when she left town in a hurry, she was wearing expensive clothes and living well above her means. Orchardson testified for the state in exchange for immunity, but couldn't add much to their case. So he just knew that on September 19th, Miss Vera P. Ava was broke, and on September 20th, she was flush with cash. Her defense was incoherent. She swore that she was not Anne Odelia Distabar, even though that had no bearing on the matter at hand. So basically, she's just like in court, like, I'm not her, I'm not her, even though none of the charges had anything to do with her. It was who she was as Vera. Oh, okay. So she's just like throwing this out there, like, what? 
She spoke at length about her convoluted history and added a few extra flourishes, claiming to have learned the mysteries of theosophy from the Mahatmas in India or after escaping from a nunnery in France. She once again claimed that the Jesuits were trying to kill her and Orchardson was their agent. And the money? Why, it was either a gift from a friend in Indianapolis or a repayment of the loan she had made years ago in France, depending on which day she was testifying. Okay. So basically, the jury didn't buy it. I mean, none of it made any sense. She was just a crazy person rambling, Mm -hmm. you know? The judge and the jury sentenced her to two years in prison. On March 25th, 1893, she started serving her term in Joliet. While she was in prison, Orchardson hypnotized a rich widow into marrying him. What? Man, I need to learn me some hypnotism. <laughs> Does that really work? Um, like, how do you hypnotize I somebody into... I feel like marry Probably not with a pocket watch, like I'm in picturing <laughs> okay. in my brain. But maybe, like, you know, kind of like, like, kind of like on Vampire Diaries, where they, like, mesmerize you maybe uh-huh. you can just like learn to mesmerize people yeah. and like channel their like subconscious somethings mm-hmm. hmm. i, I want to be hypnotized maybe we'll do an episode on hypnotism that'd be fun that would be fun can someone hit hypnotist can someone hypnotize me to not eat a lot <laughs> i would like that uh i would like to stop drinking dr pepper there you go that's like the number one or thing in my life. Hypnotize me to not have anxiety. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. That would be awesome. That Anyways, be. continue. So, moving along, we are. Are we? <laughs> not, because I don't know where we are. <laughs> I got lost again. Oh, yeah, we're hypnotizing the rich widow. Right. So, there was a scandal when she died two years later, and it was discovered that Orchardson had helped her write her will. From beyond the grave, during a seance. Uh, okay. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. Right. Nothing was ever heard from Miss Vera Pieva again. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but guys. It just comes out. So, now we're in May 1895. And Miss Phoebe Love of Wisconsin brought a lawsuit against Mrs. William J. McGowan of Chicago. Miss Love and her father had been living in an apartment in West Harrison Street when Miss McGowan forced her way into their residence, locked them out, and threatened to kill them if they tried to enter. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mrs. McGowan countersued, claiming that Mrs. Love was a former housekeeper who had stolen away Mr. McGowan's affections. Just to make matters really weird, Mrs. Love's father, who she'd been living with, and Mr. McGowan, who she had seduced, were actually the same person. Needless to say, reporters had a lot of questions. Again, hey, aren't you Anne Odelia? But she really isn't, though. It's just, it's, I guess she's not telling a lie. No. Because it's really not her. I'm Mrs. But it is McGowan. Her. Depends uh, on what day you ask. Really, though. Whichever personality suits her in that moment. <laughs> so she just got out of jail and was again back to her old shenanigans. When she was asked who who she was, she responded that she was no longer Vera Ava or Anne Odile DeBar, which you will note is not a denial. Like, she didn't say that she wasn't. She's just like, no, I'm not them anymore, I guess. Anymore, yeah. Anymore. Mm -hmm. 
so the case was thrown out of court and basically the guy was the judge was like dude y'all need to get your shit together like what are you doing like get out of my court with your your ass bullshit and go live a life that's not stupid (laughs) for mrs mcgowan getting her act together meant finding religion seems Uh to be the case right yeah that religion was the Korishan unity. Wait, I thought she was running away from nuns and shit, and that's what she... Anyways, continue. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. I guess... I'm confused. I'm... Girlfriend, same. Okay, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's joining this cult, right? They had a lot of crazy beliefs. Oh, she joined a cult? I think it's a cult called okay. the Korishan unity. Okay. They believe that a doctor named Cyrus Reed Tweed was the messiah. And that communal living and celibacy. Ew. What a way to Ew, celibacy. Life. No sex. Ew. Ew. I couldn't. So if it said that they were having orgies and shit, would you be like, okay, like go right I mean, on by like, that? I don't want to like. Or would you be like, orgies? Ew. But I just don't want to not be able to have sex. It's That's disgusting. an integral part of life. According to Brittany, it's disgusting to not be able to have sex. <laughs> I mean. Listen, Anyways, listen for all you people who don't like sex. That's cool, man. That's cool. We're derailing the train. The train has is never making it back to the and station. We're just crawling along the side right now. <laughs> What's that movie? Oh my gosh, that I watched when I was a kid with um oh one of the way is it the Wayans brothers, right? Yeah, where he's the um the 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 train that could that oh what's it called? Are you talking about Major Page? Yes. Chugga 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 choo choo. Yes, and like his legs bang, got bang. his legs got blown off and he's crawling around. <laughs> Please go look that scene up on Major Page uh, in the train scene. Yeah. Please look that up if you have not seen it. Oh gosh, just that scene. <laughs> When he's telling the bedtime story to a little boy. Please, just go watch it. Okay, that's uh, you know, what this episode is. I watched that is. movie a lot when I was a kid, and it was funny, but then I watched it again as an adult, and no. it was like a whole new funny. Tra- it was so fucked up. Our stepdad thought it was hilarious for me to watch it. Me too, little. and I just can't, like, because now, like, I I remember going back, when it came back on, like, Netflix or whatever it came on, and I'm like, oh, the kids love this. No. And then I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, my God, children should not watch this. <laughs> But it kind of was... It, but when you're a kid, you don't yeah. pick up on that shit, yeah. you know? It's just funny. Okay, well, that's us in this episode. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Anyways, okay, so, back to Crazy Lady. We're Which one? We're us in a cult now. Or the story? We're in a sexless cult, guys. <laughs> that's where we're at. Uh, oh, and that the earth is hollow, and we all lived on the ins- the inside? We do? I guess. Okay. What? Are we in the journey of the center of the earth? That would be cool shit, but... Sorry, we're derailing again. I don't know. But, oh, and that men and women were equal, which, okay, cool. Yeah, that's true. But, and maybe the hollow earth thing is not super crazy, but I don't really know. I mean, I know there's, like, goblins living in caves and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. What up, Greg and Dana? Hell, you're... Do you don't know what it is? Check it. Okay, that was the most lame thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. I bet you that Greg and Dana would appreciate my weirdness. They would. They would. They would be like, Check oh, that's it. my girl. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> that's my girl. No, that's Check it. like, what the fuck is this weirdo talking Why about? Why is she talking about us? Why is she with obsessed her? with us? Okay. <laughs> Only because you're really cool. 
We're really lame. <laughs> so you know what? We're in a cult right now, okay? What? The Karishans. Okay, right. Back to the they story. They have a large commune called the Beth Beth Opera. The okay. Uh, the Karishans had a large commune called the Beth Opera. <laughs> know what the fuck that word is opera whatever you are in chicago's college park neighborhood and our girl miss mcgowan <laughs> decided that she wanted to be a member so the leaders of the did. commune knew who she was and confronted her and she claimed that she was trying to repent for her past misdeeds damn i was really hoping that she would at least do one good deed and infiltrate a cult but <laughs> well she does kind of i guess okay so they took pity on her good. and they made her a provisional member and they immediately regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> she was clearly only there to sponge off of everyone uh, else. Yeah. She was frequently drunk, which was against the rules. <laughs> she, she having sex? Because oh, that's she, against well, the rules, I too. Mean, that's my girl. Stop. Um, um, what's that? What's that TikTok song? Bump, bump, get it, get it. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyways. So. Like, uh, Brittany. Uh, pow, 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 uh, get it, get it, duh, duh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're so stupid. Okay, so she was drunk, she was breaking rules, and they believe that she might have been the thievery, the theft, of th- the stealer, <laughs> the person who stole a diamond ring and a gold maniac. I mean, this girl's like, it's all mine. She reminds me of my Sims. I accidentally made that trait a kleptomaniac, and then she would just have just random like, shit in her talk- pockets. I think we talked about that last time. Oh, well. In the trash can. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did. I forget <laughs> everything we talk Sims. about. I just black out when it, we do these. Know, I'm just terrified of what we've put out there on the internet, of what <laughs> I've said, because I don't remember anything. We just need to remember in our editing process. We're not going to remember this, so let's make sure it sounds good right now. <laughs> That's why I edit a lot of shit out. <laughs> I feel like you could leave a lot of this in, and it's funny. It is pretty funny. We're having a grand time. It's just going to be a long episode. At least we won't have to cut that much out then. <laughs> right. Okay. okay, so <clears throat> the necklace was eventually found at a local pawn shop, and the ticket, guess whose name was on it? I really can't guess because she has so many. Miss <laughs> McGowan. Okay. That was funny, though. So, basically, they're like, girl, girl, you gone. Bye, Felicia. No more commune for you. You got kicked out of a cult? I don't think that's ever happened. I really don't think. That's like that saying that, like, if you ever get kidnapped and you're, like, really annoying and they're just like, Yes, they bring you back. back. That's That's what happened. That's her. (laughs) She's the reason that saying exists. (laughs) So, okay. No one ever heard from Miss William J. McGowan ever again. Okay. <laughs> but, because she she had died, hold on, Mr. McGowan died, I'm sorry, I kept reading it Mrs., and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry, okay. okay. So, Mr. McGowan died in January of 1897, after an attempt to claim what was left of his estate, uh, she left Illinois for good, and then resurfaced as Anne Odelia Distabar <laughs> in Boston. <laughs> Oh, no, I again? don't want again. Why would she <clears throat> use the same name? I thought she was a little smarter than that. Okay. No idea. She claimed to have inherited the spiritual mantle of the late Madame Helena Blavatsky. She lent her support to Henry B. Folk and his attempts to seize control of the Theosophical Society of America. Her timing could have been worse. 
On November 1st, Falk was arrested and was described, and for what was described, as the most heinous crime known among men, and that he was tried and convicted for molesting two young boys. Oh, shit. She decided that that direction was, she was like, all right, okay, bye. Like, that's my cue. This Mm -hmm. isn't working out. So she left. And that was the absolute end of Anodelia Distavar. Okay. Now, we, uh, we're in New Orleans. Oh, okay. We flew on down south. Shit. I feel like this is more her vibe. You know? Yeah. New Orleans is funky. Got yeah. some spiritual mediums up in there, you know. Make her story a little more believable. A little bit more, yeah. So she set up uh, as a medium named Mrs. Howard again. Um, but apparently, oh, she realized that um, I guess it was a little easier to fool people in New Orleans than up north. Mm-hmm. So she decided that she was going to go back to Princess Aditha Lolita. <laughs> okay. So she was 49 at this point, Okay. So, 49-year-old Princess Aditha Lolita found love. On November 13th of 1898, she married Frank Dutton Jackson, a real estate developer from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. It was apparently love at first sight, and the two became partners in life and in crime. Oh, she found it. Girl, okay. I'm, I'm okay. So, the Lolita Jackson marriage was announced in all the papers, where the couple giddily talked about their plans for the future. They would travel to India and explore occultism and true religion, with the eye of founding a new religion of their own, the Order of the Crystal Sea. The initiates of this order would live celibate, communal lives, so that they perfect the world and form anthropostic batteries. So, they created their own cult, based they off the last She got kicked cult. out, she's like... Fuck you guys. You know what? She's like getting kicked out of a group and be like, I'm going to go start my own group. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. thought that a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you I got <clears throat> I got kicked out of a group for the stupidest thing? So there is, it was a witch group and they were talking about cicadas. And this year, because um, I don't know if you know anything about cicadas, but most people call, think that they're locusts, even though they're not. And It's a bug if you don't know. There's a bugs that make the crazy sounds during the summer. Mm-hmm. If you're from the south, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people think they're locusts, but really they're called cicadas. And locusts are giant green grasshoppers mm-hmm. that eat and destroy everything. The cicadas, they are basically like moths, just beetly moths, because they only have a straw. They tr- they drink tree sap. They can't just the only thing that they can do to a plant or a tree is they cut little V's in the little leaves to lay their eggs, which is like nothing to the plant. It doesn't mm-hmm. really even do anything. But they were, no, it was a gardening group. That's what it was. But they were talking about how the cycle is like, because they come in different species of cicadas, they appear in different cycles. It's like seven years for some. Some of them seven, some of them three, some of them one. But this one, this particular kind was 17 years. So it was like a big thing because 17 years is a long time. Yeah. It was resurfacing this year. And they were talking about it. And this lady was like, oh my God, it's going to destroy all my crops. I'm not ready for this. And I'm like, but... I think I think you might be thinking of something else because I just try to explain to her like mm-hmm. cicadas they don't they're not capable of destroying your crops like they they're and they got like they got mad because I was describing what cicadas actually do and how they're and I wasn't mean I wasn't ugly I just was literally just stating the facts and they kicked me out of the group for it <laughs> I was like okay I guess you don't want to fucking know the truth go cry about fucking pretty bugs you ruined her like complaining sash know, like you should gosh. just let her I was Brittany. such a Karen to a wow. Karen anyways whatever I don't need your group 
not like I'm good at gardening anyways. <laughs> Y'all didn't teach me anything anyways. <laughs> so basically, they are, you know, oh, the so they're building a battery. And through this battery, they're going to materialize their, their God. I don't know. They would do this through a biblically inspired fruition diet, which would allow them to live forever. I have no comments because I'm going to keep derailing this. I don't even understand. So we're just going to move on. Just go on. Um, Basically, it was stupid. And (laughs) they're just making shit up and taking stuff from their little cult that they had joined and like rewording it to just Mm -hmm. make them look cool. So the city fathers of New Orleans might have tolerated a small time medium and con woman, which I feel like is kind of probably true to this day. But they drew the line at someone founding a wackadoo new religion in their city. Mm-hmm. So they're like, no, honey, girl. No. Baby. Shh, bye. No, child. We're not doing this. You're not. So on May 7th of 1899, Editha Lolita Jackson was forcibly expelled from the city for being a suspicious character. Which is selling I, her short, apparently. I didn't know that you could kick people out. Girl, of... I don't think you can now, but I wish we could because there's a lot of people I'd be like, go away. There's a lot of suspicious characters, yeah. like, especially where we live. And especially because there's like 40 bajillion people now. True. Actually, there's only like 8 billion, but whatever. Uh, um, I did research on this. It was a Facebook thing. <laughs> or never making it back to the station. Our train is completely <laughs> delayed. It's just... Where am I? Okay, so uh, she decided to flaunt the order. Like, I'm going to stay. What are you going to do? Make me leave? I'll just make up some new identity. Yeah. So she was thrown in jail for 30 days. <laughs> Apparently that was like, okay, we'll go. The Order of the Crystal Sea set sail for Florida. I kind of like the name, though. I do, too, a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It's better than that. What was the um, Stephanie Lazarus? What was her her investigation? It was, like, unique, uniquely something stupid. Did I do her? No. <clears throat> it was the one about the cop murder. She killed the, the ex-boyfriend's wife. Oh. Uniquely invest- unique investigations or some shit like that. It was just real cheesy and stupid. Anyways, whatever. Okay. So now we are setting up a commune on some land that Mr. Frank owned in Lee County just outside of Fort Myers. And you know who else had a commune on some land in Lee County just outside of Fort Myers? The Corishan Unity. The Jacksons aggressively targeted the Corishans, attacking them viciously in the press while privately trying to poach their members. I really feel like we're getting to an end of this the story and then you just hit us with some now they're like having cult wars <laughs> like i just okay so this is why this turned into a it's two-parter a good story it's, it's just, just like bananas. when is she gonna stop yes and the thing is is we don't ever really find out i just like i just don't understand how she has as much energy to like conjure up all of this like it takes a lot of you energy know, to do what she does because it takes a lot of energy for me to just read her story, much yes. less live it. <laughs> and, like, it's just, like, a never-ending, like... Yeah, I've still got pages left. Okay, moving on. What happened? What happened to them? They're having a cold they're, war. They're having a cold war. So, by the end... So, basically, they're going back and forth, and 
doing this whole cult war, right? And then the Krishans are like, hey, yo, y'all know that's that Anotelia Distabar, right? <laughs> so then that squashed it. That was that was their ultimate okay. comeback. Was like, yo, <laughs> this bitch is a quack. <laughs> Don't, stay with us. <laughs> so then she dipped out. No one ever heard from Aditha Lolita Jackson ever again. Because she decided to take her act over the pond to London, posing as Swami Vida Ananda. She tried to integrate herself into England's spiritualist and theosophical worlds. She wrote numerous leading figures, including W.T. Stead, but never managed to get any sort of financial support. Only tepid encouragement. Like, hey, buddy. Good job. Good job. So she left. Never heard from him again. Because she moved to Paris. <laughs> and she managed to make the acquaintance of Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, who was one of the notorious founders of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. I like all these order names. I want like to do order. some research. Oh my God, Katie, let's create our own order. That would be so cool. That would be so cool. The Order of the Literally Disturbed. Will be continued. <laughs> Stay tuned, friends. If you've made it this far, you <clears throat> might as well. What are we doing? We're in Paris. And she's joining the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. She convinced him that she was the Countess Anna Springle, the Order's legendary and entirely fictional founder. <laughs> You think you would have known better, but apparently not, because during their acquaintance, uh, Springle managed to steal several books detailing the Golden Dawn's beliefs and rituals. And apparent, but I guess it was becoming too hot for her to stay, so she's getting ready to leave. Before leaving the United States, the Order of the Crystal Sea had managed to brainwash one Dr. Mary Evelyn Bauer Adams under the pretense of providing. You know what? We have a lot of family that lived in that time frame. I wonder. It would explain a lot. I know, because, like, the reason, because Adams, we were related to a lot of the Adams back then, like, from the founding families and, like, the, you know, back in the day. And that just made me think of that. I wonder if they, like, came across her. her? Back, yeah. She basically brainwashed this girl and was providing her spiritual lessons. And her sister, Emma Barnett, learned that she was in Paris and wrote a letter, wrote a letter to the chief of police claiming her sister had been hypnotized. Wary of increased scrutiny from the gendarmes, the Countess decided to split town. Nothing was ever heard from Countess Anna Springle ever again. Because she moved to Cape Town, South Africa. Wow. And now she was Helena Horos, and Frank was Theodore Horos. She's literally going around everywhere. Yeah. And you know what's funny is, like, her name, Horos, is just like the god Horus. So she's, like, not even being, yeah. she's being so obvious. Whatever. They lectured on spiritualism and theosophy and how performance is a mediumship and animal magnetism and fortune telling. <laughs> they opened a so I'm sorry. <laughs> they opened a so-called College of Occult <laughs> Science where she handed out worthless degrees to gullible students. <sighs> yeah. Okay. By the end of the year, she was gone, presumably because papers were about because really papers were out her. about her. Yeah, I know. Um, they're about to out her as Anne Odelia Distabar. So that's one thing we know we have in common is that's her most frequent name is Anne Odelia Distabar. In her haste to get, you know, out of town, a number of her followers, she left a number of her followers stranded in Cape Town with no way to follow her. <laughs> 
So among those abandoned was Dr. Adams. And nothing was ever heard from Madame Helena Horace ever again. Because she had moved back to London. And was living as Laura Horace. Astoundingly, Frank was still going by Theo, probably because he liked the symbolism of the name. But now he was pretending to be her son and not her husband. Ew. Yeah. Weirdos. Super. So in October 1900, they set up a college of life and occult sciences that taught mental and magne- magnetic therapeutic psychology, clairvoyance, mediumship, materialism, thaumaturgy. Thaumaturgy? I don't know what that means. And divine healing. The college was mostly a front to recruit for their new religion, the Theocratic Unity and Purity League. She could with some names. The Unity's tenets were a strange mashup of doctrines and rituals stolen from the Caritian Unity and the Golden Dawn. Um, basically, she just smushed them together to try to create her own little, like... She's such a kleptomaniac. It's like, of everything. <clears throat> like, she really is just stealing ideas physical objects like money whatever she can get her hands on the unity taught that laura was a reincarnation of the virgin mary and that her son theo was a reincarnation of jesus okay Mm -hmm. initiates were uh, initiates were conscribed into the army of the lord and were expected to do the lord's bidding without question their preferred initiates were beautiful young ladies from wealthy families with passing interest in spiritualism and theosophy unresolved daddy issues and a mild rebellious streak with no guilt or real knowledge of how the world works um so basically just rich daddy's girls are not really daddy's girls rich girls who wish they were daddy's girl i don't know that sounds awkward that just didn't really know much of much they were pretty they were the pretty ones mm-hmm. you're pretty so though like hey girl come over here let's teach you some bullshit basically because really that's what they did uh the woman would be lured in with a promise of spiritual powers and then be swept off their feet by theo's manliness Theo would convince them to move into the commune, isolating them from their friends and families and slowly draining their pocketbooks. Eventually, the girls would be convinced to sever all ties with the world outside, and from that point, they were the Horaces' slaves. For about a year, it worked. Then, in September of 1901, the Horaces were arrested, uh, brought to the Marlboro Street Police Court, and then accused of theft. One of their initiates, young Miss Vera Croistel, had noticed that a number of her possessions had gone missing while she was living with the theocratic unity, namely a golden brooch, a golden matchbox, a silver clock, and a diamond ornament. She'd pressed charges, and the case had made all the papers. It even made international news. Magician Carl Hertz, who had testified against Anne Odelia Distabar over a decade earlier, saw Laura Horace's picture in the paper and recognized her immediately. He wrote Scotland Yard to inform them that the person they had in custody was the notorious Distabar. Hertz wasn't the only one looking at the papers. Members of the Corishan Unity noticed one of the rings Theodore was wearing. It was one that Miss McGowan had stolen back in Chicago, which had never been recovered. Theodore eventually pawned it to raise money to pay for his legal defense. Mm-hmm. The horses returned to court in October for the formal filing of charges. In the interim, some of Vera Croystal's items had mysteriously reappeared. Apparently, the Horaces thought that thought that might convince her to drop the charges, but they were wrong. The police charged them under their real names, well, as real as names as you could get for them, mm-hmm. Frank and Laura Jackson. 
Detective Inspector Kane, who was the leading who was leading the charge against them, announced, "I have a criminal record for the woman from Chicago, and I produce her photograph and the particulars of her dimensions. These show that she was a that she is a convicted thief, a swindler, and a fortune teller. There were also new charges: the rape of Daisy Pollock's Adams." One of the theocratic unity's more unusual recruiting methods methods involved taking out matrimonial advertisements in the newspapers. When some trusting innocent girl replied, Frank would introduce himself, bring them back to the unity, and introduce Laura as his mother, and announce that he and his new woman were to be wed. He'd use a combination of high-pressure tactics and hypnosis to seduce them while at the same time relieving them of all of their valuables like rings, brooches, etc. Daisy Pollock's Adams was one that was also swindled. She was not, or she would not yield to Frank's demand, so Laura held Daisy down while Theo raped her. What? She was only 16. Oh my gosh. Well, that caused, like, obviously an uproar because what the fuck. Yeah. Frank tried to shut down the charges immediately, claiming that an accident had left him a virtual eunuch unable to perform he demanded a medical examination to clear his good name but the authorities called his bluff the full trial had begun at the end of november vera croy still testified about her strange initiation ceremony she had been tied with a rope and passes were made over her with a lamp water and a saw frank jackson told her he was the reincarnation of jesus christ she swore an oath that no one else was allowed to hypnotize her and that she would keep all the secrets of the unity under the penalty of being blasted by lightning from the witness box laura jackson looked like she was trying to conjure all the lightning she could muster laura faulkner testified that frank had made a number of inappropriate overtures uh he called her his little wife and proclaimed himself to be her spiritual husband she also testified Frank had told them that he was the Lord and that since obeying his commands was obeying the will of the Lord, the sleeping with him was not a sin. Of course, when pressured to turn the spiritual marriage into an actual marriage, Frank always found a way to change the subject. The Jacksons were none too fond of the Faulkner's testimony. Daisy Adams and her mother testified about her own seduction and violation. Mrs. Lewis, their landlady, claimed the prisoners had represented themselves as mental scientists, a sort of combination of hypnosis, faith healing, and positive thinking. And then once Mrs. Lewis realized they were just grifters, she tried to turn them out. Uh, Dr. James Scott, who'd conducted the physical examination of Frank Jackson, testified that his equipment was in good working order. So he wasn't impotent. He Mm -mm. was perfectly capable of raping her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Evelyn, Dr. Mary Evelyn Bauer Adams testified and accused Laura Jackson of poisoning her husband. Frank yelled that she was a murderess and a liar and had to be silenced. Um, I guess no one ever, like, followed up on her claim, though. So, like, they were never convicted of her poisoning, or of them, like, poisoning him. Okay. Detective Inspector Kane brought a mountain of evidence. There was an account of books and unpaid bills. There were personal effects stolen from Vera Croystal and, and another initiate, Olga Rawson. There was a book of rituals stolen from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and there were multiple publications by the Kurdishan Unity where the word Kurdishan had been crossed out and replaced with theocratic. There were letters written to the Swami from the King Solomon, the leader of the Army of the Lord, residing in Eregozaba trying to convince Laura to be his queen of Sheba. Ew. Yeah. There were letters of encouragement from W.T. Stead and other prominent spiritualists. There were indecent photos of unity initiates in various states of undress. So as they're, like, initiating them, they're, like, taking pictures of them, too. So they just got super creepy. 
Yeah, this took like a turn. Yeah. There were mug shots of Vera P. Ava from her stint in Joliet State Prison. Amazingly, the Jacksons chose to defend themselves. They were, as usual, terrible advocates and witnesses. Frank would hiss at the crowd in the courtroom, demanding that they keep quiet and give him a fair shake. Laura would try to control, control the pace of the trial, shouting at the witnesses she didn't like and trying to silence them. Okay. I just really wish I could watch this. Mm-hmm. Laura professed complete and total innocence. She denied being Vera P. Ava or Anne Odelia Distabar. She was not leading a cult, and the girls were not initiates, students, or slaves. They were just household servants who had been corrupted by their most ancient foe, the landlady, Mrs. Lewis, who was a secret Jesuit. Oh, okay, there we go, back to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She claimed all the charges were pure fiction. As usual, she also introduced a number of facts which had no bearing on the matter at hand. Most notably, she claimed to be the real founder of the Korshanti, which she established in 1866. Which, I guess, was like actually three years too early, but they didn't really know and whatever. Mm-hmm. Frank did not cop to being Frank Dutton Jackson. Interestingly, interestingly, he also claimed he was not Laura's husband, but her adopted son. He had never claimed to be God and had never violated anyone, and in fact lived a completely celibate lifestyle because of that unfortunate, unspecified accident. Mm. Whenever he testified in a way that pleased Laura, she praised him as a good boy from the bench, like he was a clever pet. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the end, the jury was presented a choice between a mountain of meticulously gathered evidence and a blanket of denials from two people who had changed their story every five minutes. They took only five minutes to find the Jacksons guilty. (laughs) Frank received 15 years in prison and Laura received seven. How does she keep doing I don't know. I mean, that she still went to prison, but like she keeps just getting a slap on her wrist. Six months, one month, a couple Two years. years. Like, seven years for all of this? That's bullshit. Yeah, it's crazy. His sentence. He should have been there longer. Oh, I guess it was just different a times. A, girl, a 16-year-old girl? I know. Yeah. We're almost we're almost through here, friends. We've almost made it through the journey of whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> I don't even know. Okay, so they were carted away to Islesworth to serve their sentences. Laura would be behind bars for only four and a half years. OMG. On August 13th, 1906, she was released early due to good behavior. Nothing was ever heard from Laura Jackson ever again. Now, 1907 Detroit was in an uproar over the notorious Michael K. Mills, the self-proclaimed prince of the cult variously known as the House of Israel. Man, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here that I just had never heard of any of these orders before. We're really just gonna have to do some research into mm-hmm. this. The they are the the flying rollers or the Jezreelites. Jezreelites. Mills had been convicted of sexually assaulting young women, and when he was released from prison in 1892, it was made clear that his release was conditional on his leaving the country and never returning. But returned he had. In January 1907, Mills was caught trying to sneak over the border from Windsor, Ontario, and was detained. Mills Mills had his defenders, though. They were led by a mysterious new figure identified as the Reverend Mother Eleanor T. Mason. Oh. Mason claimed to be the new head of the House of Israel in the United States, sent from England to set up a new colony on the banks of Lake St. Clair. She stayed on the Canadian side of the border, orchestrating the affairs of the cult and providing the funds for Mills' legal defense. Hmm. 
okay. The Reverend Mother was an imposing figure who dressed in purple silks bedecked by golden jewels and was compared to one reporter to the Queen of Sheba. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She traveled in a luxurious yacht and claimed to have $50 million assets at her command. This is a stark contrast to the rest of the flying rollers who were known for their austerity and poverty. In interviews, she claimed to be an ageist immortal nearly 100 years old, totally free from all sin, and to have been recognized as the new Eve by Pope Pius. I don't know what Ivy means. Okay. I should know Roman numerals, but I don't. Needless to say, reporters had a lot of questions. Like, hey, aren't you Anodelia Distemore? <laughs> okay, good. As long as people are catching on. <laughs> Apparently, after her release from prison, our old friend, Anna Delia, had integrated herself with the English branch of the House of Israel. It was there that she became acquainted with Mills and encouraged him to return to America, where, like, with the thought that introducing him would help her kind of be, like, the face, so she's maybe not get figured out quite as soon. Mm-hmm. And to just basically, like, he could be turned over to the law and get him out of her hair. I guess she didn't really care for this fella. Like, she just wanted to be in charge. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Before leaving, she had also stolen over 400 euros from the English branch, along with numerous pieces of jewelry owned by the family of John Swindon and their solicitor. The same jewels that were now prominently featured in photos of Eleanor T. Mason and which were quickly identified by the Swindons. Needless to say, both English and American authorities are very interested in speaking with the Reverend Mother. But she vanished. Of course. Shortly after, the papers outed her and she converted everything the sect owned into cash and fled. Never to be heard of again. Until. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but really. Uh, and this is the... We're finally here. This is the last little bit. So in 1909, New Yorkers couldn't stop talking about what was going on at the Mahatma Temple on 33rd Street. A new teacher, Adiva Vidya, had begun teaching the secrets of physical immortality and initiating her students into the Order of the White Robe. How many orders are there? Like, can we really make our own order for, like, our listeners? That'd be kind of cool. Obviously not a cult. But, but like, like just name it like the like the Order of the Phoenix, but not the Order the of the order Phoenix. Literally disturbed. Yeah, is that lame? And in order to be initiated, you have to be disturbed. I think we're probably all there. If you're listening to this, you gotta be, cause what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I don't know. Okay, so white robe, Order of the White Robe. They really got clever with that, huh? Yeah. I think she's running out of names. <laughs> Seems like it. She doesn't have the Google generator, name no. generator on there. But to be fair, she was pretty damn good without that. I feel like her skills in life could have be, been used you for know, good. I, just, I was about to say, I just feel like maybe if she would have refocused that into some positive energy, she probably could have done some really cool shit, you know? Yes. But she didn't. She faked so it till she, she made it, but she didn't make and it then very got far. got found out and crashed. Yeah. So she was a white woman who claimed to have learned the secrets of yoga in India, where the fakirs had christened her the white Mahatma. Basically, everybody was like, but hey. Aren't you? Aren't you that Aren't lady? you an Odelia Distabar? <laughs> 
So she, because again, like she set up in New York. Like this is what the third or oh, fourth so she time. Went back she went to back New to New York, New York. like a yeah. dum dum. Okay. Mm-hmm. She, I guess she thought it, like twenty two years was enough time for people to forget. But I mean, no. it's New York, so probably not even in the nineteen hundreds. Her identity was soon discovered by the reporters, and she was kicked out of the Mahatma Temple. But even after she was kicked out, people still would like come to her wanting spiritual advice and knowledge and. Okay. Because, I mean, crazy batshit cuckoo lady, whatever. She's at least got, she kind of, I mean, she's got a lot of knowledge on the spiritual occult because she's researched she and stolen True. it all from everybody. True. So, I mean, see, she could have just focused on that and, like, her, what she actually knew and it would have been all fine. But it fell apart when uh, her accomplice and, quote, spiritual son, David Livingston McKay, was deported. Apparently, he'd been convicted in Canada of selling obscene literature and lied about it on his entry forms. And apparently, that was the reason that this all fell apart. Hmm. So, whatever. She crashed and that name burned. And she went on a lecture tour claiming that she was McKay's innocent dupe. And that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, she booked a one-week uh, she was booked for a week at Oscar Hammerstein's Victoria Theater to do, like, a spiritual thing, I guess. But no one showed up. Good. Like, they were like, no, nah, I'm good. The public was like, I'm not buying this anymore. Are we farty? I mean, they've seen it so many times in so many places. Mm-hmm. She always gets found out. She didn't even make it to the end of her booking for that week before she left. And that was literally the last anyone has ever heard of. And Odelia just to bar again. Well, that was a damn ride. Yeah. There's some speculation that she went back um, to Kansas where she or Kentucky, whatever it was. Kentucky, I think. That's near Cincinnati. Let me see. Kentucky is right there. Yeah, it was Kentucky. Um, So there is like claims that she might have went back to her hometown and just kind of gave up and was like, all right, I'm done. After all of that. Mm -hmm. Wow. I guess she was getting older. So yeah, she was she was well running out of point. So ideas that was our our friend miss aditha lolita was a damn banana hammock journey like a long journey but very fascinating like this girl it's just crazy how much she got away with like and just kept going and going and it was like some people would maybe once twice three times even but then you get scared like oh my god they're gonna get me you know i was i I would be scared. I was like always on the run. But she just didn't even. She's just like, all right, let's go to the next one. Let's see who we can scope out. It's like a circus, like a circus tour. You know, like move on to the next town for the next. Yeah, I wish I could just like go back in time and just see her in action and just see how she was able to con all these people and like what like because you said that she pretended to be like a teacher in some instances and do lectures and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see if anybody actually learned anything in what she taught. She actually maybe that's what it was. Is she was just so good at speaking and just yeah. They just were you know, I don't know. I thought it was. Very interesting, though. Yes, it was. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we're sorry that this was so long and that we derailed a I few mean, times. But I mean, that's why you're listening to us is because you can listen to the story anywhere. But it's yeah. us telling but it. It's us, and we're so thank funny. you for listening. We're thank funny sometimes. To, I mean, but yeah. So if you want to follow us on social media, that'd be cool. We could be friends. Um, oh, we have a new Facebook group, guys. And if you really like us and we really like you maybe we'll let you in 
and you no, can, we'll let you, you in because get, we like all of y'all. Get in on the early access before it's like red carpet, tightrope. What are those ropes? Not tightropes. We're not climbing on things. We're not acrobats. What are the little the little red ropes with the bouncers? Yes. Before the bouncer comes, we'll put you on the list. You act like we're like so cool. <laughs> <laughs> in our heads, we are. It's it's like. Reverse psychology. Yeah, we're just putting it out there. You yeah, know? we're making you think it's subliminal messages. We're cool. We're cool. Like you us. Like us. Like like us. us. <laughs> you listen to us all the time. Every week. Yeah. Okay, anyways. Um, but if you want to follow us on social media, like I said, that would be so cool. And it would be really, really cool. Like if you're feeling extra kind. If you would share us with your friends. Like, don't, don't be stingy. I mean, I know we're super, but share with your friends. Sharing is caring. Yep. Um. So, like I said, if you want to follow us, you can go to Literally Disturbed Podcast on Instagram. We have mm-hmm. a Facebook, just Literally Disturbed. And like Brittany said, she created a Facebook group. So, if you just want to search for us in the groups. Right now, it's just called Literally Disturbed. But I don't know when you're listening to this. So, if it's in the future, just kind of look for us you'll find it um we have a website right now it's uh literally disturbed.com all of our uh, social media links are on there as well as a few articles that Brittany's come up with and our merch is on there as mm-hmm. well so if you would like to buy a t-shirt or a sweater or a sweatshirt or whatnot we have a few cute little things on there and we have a tiktok Brittany's put a few um videos on there and i tried to create one with the help of her daughter sophie um, so if you just want to go look at it's that, funny. it's funny. It's We're trying. Let me just tell you how long I had that damn song stuck in my head the other day because I was editing stuff and kept going on there and we listened to it over and over. So and I have a cricket machine and I thought it would be funny to cut a ghost tortilla and make a quesadilla of it. Cricket. I thought it was fun. It was funny. Um, did it come out great? I don't know. But it's Go on see. there. Watch the video um, and find out if it was great. <laughs> we're trying to figure out TikTok. As you can tell, we're millennials, so we're not in and on. So listen, because I'm 30, almost 31, cringe. And I'm, I'm a whole the, damn quarter. I'm on the old people side of TikTok, apparently. That's what my daughter tells me. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. Literally this is so disturbed. Long. Yes. Social media. Us. Please Follow us. Share us. Yes. Like us. Comment. Leave us a review on. Um, Love us. Apple Podcasts, please, if you can. If you have an Apple device and you have, like, five minutes just to go on there and leave us a really good review, it please, helps. no mean ones. And it costs you no no money. Yes, it, it would just be us. really nice because it helps us get our name out there on the, you know, the algorithm and whatnot, and it would just really help us. But, yeah, thank you, and we will see you next week. Thank you, guys. Bye. We hope we left you literally disturbed. Disturbed. <laughs>